You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms, specifically the new shotgun from Savage called the Renegade. Now, the Renegade is a badass shotgun, and it has a dual regulating inline valve gas system. The patented self regulating gas system allows high power and low power loads to cycle with the same consistency. This means three inch magnums down to lower recoil, two and three quarter car. Cartridges. If you want to find out more information about the Savage Renegade, visit savagearms.com. XP podcast with your host Steve Fielder and me Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. episode of the Houndsman XP podcast we are talking to Brian Lynn of the Sportsman's Alliance. Brian is the vice president for marketing and communications and uh, you might also recognize his name because he was also the gun dog editor for Outdoor Life for a number of years prior to going to the Sportsman's Alliance. If you're uh, reading or sharing any of, of their posts from social media Instagram or Facebook, wherever you're at, and and you're sharing articles from the Sportsman's Alliance, more than likely they have crossed Brian's desk. He is in charge of all of those sort of things that are going out there in social media. So hang on. You're really going to want to listen to what Brian has to say. He has been on the front lines in several of these epic battles throughout the United States that affect our lifestyle as houndsmen. And he's going to talk specifically about a lot of those things. He's also going to talk about how you, your your local organization, your state organization, can become more involved with the Sportsman's Alliance. Probably no other organization that is exclusively dedicated to hunting can be a better resource for you to help shape the regulations in your state than the Sportsman's Alliance. And Brian's going to tell you how you can follow them on social media, where their website is, how you can become an associate chapter, uh, an individual member of the Sportsman's Alliance, all those sort of things that this organization needs to fight for our rights as houndsmen. Before we get there, big announcement about Patreon. If you have not become a Patreon supporter yet, you can go to our website at houndsmanxp.com, choose the Patreon page, Click on that link and go in there and become a Patreon patron. Why would you do that? Well, we are going to hold our first drawing the first week of May for all of our Patreon supporters. You have to be a Patreon supporter to be included in this drawing. But we are really developing a stockpile of prizes to draw on a monthly basis for our our, uh, different 
Patreon members there, but you have to be a member. One of the reasons why we launched our Patreon is so that we can continue to bring you the highest quality guests and recording possible to you, the listener. Not only for your entertainment value, but for your educational value as well, so that we can preserve, protect, and promote this houndsman lifestyle. We're also going to use those funds to continue our support of Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's military veterans, Gold Star family members, and integrates them back into civilian life through outdoor adventures. So we also have a link on our webpage to Freedom Hunters. So check that out. And you can personally be involved in supporting a veteran or a hunt. Jared Moss just finished one in Beaver out of Beaver, Utah. And he support he uh, uh, sponsored a hunt through Freedom Hunters. If you've listened to the podcast, we took Tanner Bab in January uh, on a on a mountain lion hunt. If uh, if you were following us, Limber Lost Coon Hunters, their coon club hosted a Freedom Hunters hunt. It's a great way for patriarchs, uh, houndsmen, which which as we've said before, no other group of sportsmen are more patriotic than houndsmen. This is an opportunity for you to sponsor a Freedom Hunters hunt, and we're going to help you do that. So make sure that you're plugging into our Patreon page. We are using that money that we generate there for great things for you, the listener. And we have some pretty cool drawing items coming up for you. But you have to be signed up to be included in this first drawing by the end of April because we're going to draw it the first week of May. Make sure you're paying attention to our social media platforms and you're going to start seeing more promotional items that are put up there talking about our Patreon page and what those drawings are going to be. But above that, we've got some pretty cool stuff popping up on that page too, that Patreon page that can only be viewed by Patreon patrons. So make sure that you're checking that out and we appreciate every one of you that has already signed up. It's a, pretty cool to see the number of people that are that are coming in to support us and a lot of names that we recognize that are have been have been impactful in the houndsman community for a number of years so join a great crowd a great community of people who are supporting this podcast to do great things for you to preserve promote and protect the hound hunting lifestyle what do you say we get to this interview and here's brian lynn Welcome to the Houndsman XP Podcast, everybody. We've got a great treat for you this week. Uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking to Brian Lynn. He's a vice president, one of the vice presidents of uh, at the Sportsman's Alliance. And I can tell you that over the years, the Sportsman's Alliance has been out there and and been keeping America's sportsmen's, sportsmen aware of different rules, laws, things that are coming down the pipe uh, that affect hunting. And, the, and our adventures outstore and the lifestyle we choose to leave, lead. And the hound community is no different. And we're going to talk about that and the role that the Sportsman's Alliance has played in that. But uh, before we get there, how are you today, Brian? Doing great uh, out here. And spring's starting to finally pop around here, so that's nice. I just wish we could go out turkey and uh, bear hunting, but that's all getting suspended right now. So we'll are see you what kidding? happens here pretty soon. No, 
No, our uh, our turkey seasons, bear seasons, and even fishing have all been banned due to the COVID nineteen right now. That is amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's a little crazy. There, they started it with uh, youth season and permit bear and fishing, and then they just suspended everything until May fourth, right now. And I'm guessing it'll probably get suspended again till the rest of the season. So, so, so it's okay. Fishing, it's the fishing okay. I can almost understand at times because there's places that get stacked up on the shoreline or the boat mm-hmm. launches and you're touching the same surfaces and all that kind of thing. Almost kind of, um, the hunting I do not understand. It's, you know, maybe you stop at a gas station, which people are already doing and mm-hmm. you don't want to be around anybody. You go out in the woods. So yeah. it's a little frustrating. That is very frustrating. It's really kind of a shocker to me that that that's even been an option. You know, I have not heard anything like that happening here in Indiana. I haven't even heard it, a discussion of it or rumors of it happening. Yeah, let's see. Uh, Alaska shut down their resident and non-resident uh, bear season, and then everybody just blew up up there. And so they just stopped bear season for non-residents. Washington has shut everything down. Idaho stopped suspended or they suspended the selling of uh, non-res tags. Uh, Nebraska did the same thing. Uh, Montana did the same thing, I believe. So yeah, it's uh, they're doing all sorts of stuff out here. And that's why we're talking to you because you know all this stuff, and I don't. well it's a lot it's a lot of stuff going on always you know it's hard to keep up with it sometimes but our government affairs guys do a great job with it yeah yeah and and i've always been a big fan of the sportsman sportsman's alliance and uh, when i was involved with the hoosier tree dog alliance here we we actually paid an associate membership to the the sportsman's alliance and tried to align ourselves with that we want to talk about all that stuff but uh you know you've got pr- yeah. you've got a pretty good background there brian i want i want to talk about that a little bit and you're not a houndsman but no no you've got a little bit of but, you've got uh, a little bit of experience with with sporting dogs and that's that's why it's yeah. such a great great guy to talk to on this yeah no as i love the dogs and that's always kind of been you know a passion of mine and i mean even you know I was grade school, middle school, and got my first dog in the Springer Spaniel, and I was reading all the books, you know, training and feeding and, you know, old-time books that I found at my granddad's or at the library or whatever. It wasn't always the best information, but, uh, you know, that, that kind of piqued my interest, and then, you know, it just kind of grew from there. And and uh, so, yeah, I'm into the retriever stuff is where I've gotten into, but, uh, yeah, I uh, – started out at a magazine uh, called fishing and hunting news 20 years ago, I guess it's been just this last month and did that for about a year or so. And then ESPN outdoors was launching their, their com side of things. And so I jumped over to ESPN outdoors and I ran the conservation section there and the headline news mm-hmm. and then launched uh, a sporting dog section. And so then I, you know, was working with different writers and trainers and, and everything. And so it was great. I got to, you know, pick the brains of people and edit all their writings and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, I'd be asking follow-up questions and sort of, okay, I'm seeing where this training is going. And right. this guy has one style and this guy has a different style and they have, you know, everybody thinks they're opposites, but if you look at it, here's where they have a lot of commonality, you know, it's just right here and here where it branches and, 
it, at the end results the same. They're just going, taking different paths to get there, exactly. you know, or they stress different things. You know, they find one thing more important than another, you know, depending on what they hunt or where they hunt or whatever. And that's kind of the great thing I love about dogs. I love about hunting is, you know, in this country, it's so varied, you know, we're so large and there's so many different uh, heritages and cultures and ways of, you know, going duck hunting or mm-hmm. rabbit hunting or whatever, you know, and the different dogs that have evolved and trained methodolo- methodologies and everything. It's just, it's fascinating. It's cool. It's what makes America, America. And so, you know, I love doing it and I got to do it at ESPN and then I went over to Outdoor Life magazine and I was there for a few years and then I was their sporting dogs editor for about six years. So, you know, I've got to pick the brains of some of the top pros around the country and, and watch them work and hang out and have a beer after training and, you know, get into a little more stuff and those deep discussions that, you know, dog guys tend to get into when they're having beers. So, you know, it's it's been great. Love it. Yep. And the hound community is no different, Brian. I mean, uh, we, we interview people from, I've interviewed people from Norway for this show. We've got some other international guests that'll, uh, we're trying to line up right now, but but you just look inside North America here, the way our houndsmen from Idaho or the West Coast or the Western states, uh, the demands they put on their dogs are, are are different than what what the Eastern United States does, um, and you even get to Southeast versus the Upper Midwest, and it's just a different thing. So so people train different ways, they look for different traits in dogs, they you know their their needs for the for for being successful are different from the regions that they that they're hunting. So yeah, we can certainly relate to that, and that's that's relatable. So. Yeah, most definitely. You know, that's a, that's always the thing. If you see on the internet forums and stuff, people going off about, oh, a dog only does this, or you have to do this, or you have to do that. And it's like, you know, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat, and even more to train a dog. And you know, do what works for you. And you know, if you're happy with it, then that's the standard. You know, it, uh, a pro is going to have a different standard than. The amateur who's going to have a different standard than, you know, the meat hunter, as you're called, uh, you know, or whatever. It's just, uh, you know, dogs are here. And if we lived more like dogs, we'd all be happier. You know, they just enjoy every day, (laughs) every moment. And, you know, if we quit worrying about the little crap like they do, then we'd all be better off. You know, it seems like this conversation, due to the time frame we're in here, and I'm, I don't know when exactly this episode will air, but it'll definitely be relatable when it does. You know, I look at my dogs, and they don't care about COVID nineteen. They don't care. You know, they are no. perfectly happy that I am, you know, in social isolation right now because I'm, I'm with them. You know, and and yeah. uh, getting to spend time with them. <laughs> So, yeah, exactly. They don't care about anything. I mean, no. it's like my, my old dog when he was, you know, before I had to put him down a couple of years ago, you know, he was got up and yeah, he was in bad shape and tough to eat and stuff, but he was still content and happy and he'd come over, put his head on my lap and, you know, they just, they don't worry about what's coming, you know, and then if we could be a little more like that, the world would be a lot better place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's something that, that I think you just hit a very good talking point right there. You know, a, a dog trainer, a houndsman, it doesn't matter whether it's a Labrador or a blue tick hound, you know, that, 
connection that you have with that dog is no different. And that's the common thread that draws all of us hunters together, especially within the dog hunting community. You know, I don't, I, yeah. I'm not expecting my blue tick hound to retrieve a duck and you're not expecting your, your, uh, Labrador pup there to uh, track down a lion. So, uh, but we have that common thread and that's, that's working dogs and that enjoyment of watching and training and, and being involved in that process. So, so how long yep, you been, how long exactly. you been how long you been at Sportsman's Alliance now? Been at Sportsman's Alliance, I guess it was it's been five six years now. And, but I've been involved with them since I was at ESPN. So I was running the sporting dog section and conservation section and running the headline news and stuff. And I, you know, I also was writing a little bit and I'd go off on tangents, you know, as I was watching things. And the Sportsman's Alliance is always up. Always used them as a resource. Like, mm-hmm. hey, what's going on here? Or they would flag something and say, hey, watch out for this. And I'd use that as a jumping off point to talk about things. And so I was always working with them, uh, looking for information, fact-checking things. Uh, I've done a lot in the industry, you know, with television and different things like that. I'm like, hey, do you see any problems with this? And, you know, just that kind of relationship of checking in and, and using them as resources. And basically that's what we we hope we are for, you know, the hunter – the the pros out there for you know anybody is you know the writers that i work with being you know i do the marketing and communication side of things so i work with a lot of media and it's like hey we're here as a resource you know here's what's going on in this state and this state and this state it's it's you know for hunters especially we are very focused on our state or our region where we hunt and we can complain about the ducks aren't there or this lawmaker's doing that or whatever but if you step back and look at it from a 30,000 foot national view, you get a different thing. Like if you, there's regulations in, you know, uh, New Hampshire for banning outdoor dogs mm-hmm. and somebody's in New Hampshire is going, well, this is just ridiculous. You know, our guys are lost their damn mind, right. you know, and they're trying to stop us from having an outdoor dog, you know, that that's one thing. But then if you step back from that 30,000 foot look and go, oh, this is happening in New Hampshire, it's happening in Vermont, it's happening in Pennsylvania, it's happening in Montana, it's happening in Wisconsin, it's happening in eight other states at the exact same time using almost the exact same language. Isn't that a coincidence? Yeah, (laughs) there there ain't no coincidences. Yeah, this is, you see it from that vantage point, you go bing, 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 and you go, oh, this is a coordinated attack. Exactly. And who, what's the common thread running between most, almost all of it? the Humane Society of the United States, you know, so it's like, oh, this is what they're pushing for this Mm -hmm. session and maybe the next session, you know, and so, and then that's a real thing that's going on. They set arbitrary temperatures and say that you can't have a dog outside for a certain amount of time at a certain temperature. If you're home, you're not home. If you're on a tether, not on a tether, Um, you know, it's usually what a human can relate to. They, They anthropomorphize everything. So, well, would you like to be outside if it's 32 degrees outside? You know, no, you shouldn't be outside. You wouldn't, you, a human can't do that for more than 15 minutes. So your dog shouldn't be out there if it's below 32 degrees for more than 15 minutes. And you have to be home in case, you know, the dog wants back in, you know, and it's like, wait a minute, time out. Dogs are are physiologically different than us. Right. They conserve heat. They have double coats. They have, you know, all sorts of stuff. At 32 degrees, my lab's loving it, you know. If we all go jump in the river at 40 degrees, 
the humans aren't going to be feeling too good and the labs are going to be having a great time. Sure. You know, so it's not the same, but politicians, the non-hunting public, you know, the little fur baby folks in town are going, yeah, that seems reasonable, you know, and then this stuff gets passed Right. and this stuff gets passed. What's that do to your breeders, your trainers, your kennels and that stuff? It adds overhead. It adds extra bodies to maintain the kennels. It adds, uh, in Pennsylvania, I believe it was, there you had to have a doghouse built to exacting code standards, four inches of overhang, you know, this type of insulation inside, no type of insulation that can get wet or retain any moisture or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that starts adding costs. So it's a back end. Not only does it stop it directly by not having an, an outdoor dog, my dog needs to acclimate. He's a lab. He needs to acclimate to the cold as it gets colder and develop that coat. It adds to the economic side. If you're a breeder or a kennel or whatever, you got to have all these extra bodies or extra equipment or specifically built shelters. So then you have to raise your costs of training or kenneling or the cost of the pups and all that. And as you increase costs, the, it goes, the, you know, the business model goes down. Right. So they, they hit you on two sides there. So what I'm hearing you say, and I'll just break it down so that, you know, I, I'll make sure I'm, I'm not misunderstanding, you know, the, the outright attack just coming out and saying no more duck hunting because what they want to try to do is say we're going to take away the different parts of duck hunting and make it more difficult for you to own a Labrador retriever through some of this anti-dog legislation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, the dog stuff is, uh, it's a low hanging fruit and the hounds guys are on the front line. I mean, trapping and the houndsmen are the ones who are getting hammered because it, it's easy to paint it as being unethical. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. Well, these guys just turn these dogs loose and chase the cat up the tree or chase the bear up the tree and the poor bear or cats up there and they're stressed and the bar- dogs are barking and these guys are drinking beer at the pickup and then they exactly. just walk out and they shoot it at point blank and it well, falls usually, out and the dogs all rip it up. And We try to just drive, we try to drive right up under the tree so we don't even have to walk. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No joke. Gosh, I've been on some cat chases with a buddy here who's a biologist and houndsman, and he's like, God, it's only 400 yards. I was like, sweet. And it was like 400 yards straight uphill in the snow. He scooted right up that thing. I got up there, my lungs were exploding. I was like, it took me like half hour just to recover, just sit under the tree. Right. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But, That's uh, the thing that they're, a lot, they're, it's a lot easy of these. to vilify for them. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's easy to for people to believe it because things that they don't aren't yeah. exposed to things that they uh aren't familiar with then when we allow the anti-hunting public to control the narrative on that then people are easily swayed because they have no they have nothing to base their experience on of uh, uh, exactly there's exactly. nothing there the so you know all they think about yeah. all they think about is you know why is this dog wearing a gps collar they're tracking this dog all the way to letting him do all the work. And then the easy part is just getting in there that there's no basis for them to compare to, or no base knowledge for them to make a decision. Yeah. They, they, they are only getting half the story and that story is tainted, you right. know, and it's uh and a lot of it seems reasonable to them. Like, yeah, I wouldn't want my dog out there freezing. That's so mean. Like, you know, why, why would you do put an e-collar on a dog? That's horrible. You know, it's like, no, you, you, they have no way of doing it. And sometimes trying to explain it makes it worse. 
So, you know, it's uh, the devil if you do, devil if you don't. So you have to take different approaches depending on the topic, depending on, you know, who it is and if it's a politician or if it's media or what is it, you know, so it's different messaging there, you know, but there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff and dogs are on the front lines. And we see, we've been seeing that a lot this last session or two. Outdoor dogs are big. Uh, tethering is big. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Things like that are huge. Uh, mm-hmm. number of pups you can have before you get be called before you're labeled as like a pet vendor or a professional <laughs> breeder, which then opens you up to permitting processes, additional taxes, inspections of your home, different things like that. They keep trying to lower that threshold. I think in Florida, this last session, there was a bill that said, if you have more than four puppies, you are now a professional breeder. Mm. You know, and it opened up all those doors, you know. So those are things we look at. You know, the tethering things sometimes is meant for their, you know, the politician believes they're doing something good, stopping that dog from being chained up in the yard for its whole life, you know. But if taken to the letter of the law, you know, anybody that tethers for, you know, bird dog trials or, you know, you have your dog staked out or whatever, right? Uh, you know, it affects them. And then they would all be acting illegally. So we either try to go in and stop it or we try to get exemptions written in mm-hmm. for field trials, for hunting endeavors or by breed, you know, saying, OK, these these dogs are dogs that are commonly tethered either as training or, you know, kenneling practices or whatever, or health and safety. If you have a climber that likes to climb out of kennels, you know, has the potential of either getting away or hanging itself if it gets caught, you right. know, tethering it out is better. Mm-hmm. So, well, and, and one of the things, things you know, be, to touch on tethering, one of the reasons why I tether, especially pups, younger dogs, uh, is it teaches them to not fight that. So if I'm out hunting and I happen to be hunting in a place where a dog can become entangled in a legal snare or an illegal snare or uh, a fence or anything like that, he's he's going to not injure himself by fighting that situation that's why and that's yeah. the story that never gets told they yeah your non-hunting anti-hunting public will never understand why the dog is tethered and when i explain it to him you know i have people come to my house why is that dog tied up like that well this is why and then they're like oh okay i never thought about that but we don't do a good yeah. job of getting that message out there but we can't cover every base anyway yeah, no, so that's true. You know, bird dogs are the same way, you know, mm-hmm. give to the neck type stuff. And then that's where the stimulation comes from to trigger that point and the woe post and all that. So, yeah, yeah. it's exactly the same. Yeah. And, One of the things I'd like to talk about, and we'll get down in the weeds kind of on some of the legislative stuff uh, here in a few minutes. But uh, maybe for some of our listeners who uh, don't haven't researched Sportsman's Alliance, they haven't. Um, uh, really, really gone there and, and looked to see what kind of resources are there. I know that we've even generated topics of discussion on this podcast based on uh, Sportsman's Alliance news releases, things that come up on your social media platforms. And then we've launched, like you said before, jumping off points for topics of discussion. But can you give can you give us an overview of the Sportsman's Alliance for our listeners? What do you guys do? Yeah, yeah. Why do you exist? 
Yeah, so we've been around for a little over 40 years now, 1977, I believe, we were incorporated. And back then we were called the Wildlife Legislative Fund of America. And we started in, started in Ohio, and we're still uh, headquartered in Columbus, Ohio. And so in the 70s is when that animal rights movement kind of came over from Europe and started hitting North America. And, you know, this idea started growing and taking hold. And they discovered that, hey, you know, if we can't get bills passed, we'll just use the, the ballot initiative process. You collect enough signatures, you get to put on the ballot, and then it's just a PR move from there. Exactly. And you let yeah. the direct public do it. And the direct public, all you need to capture are those big voting blocks, those big urban voting blocks, the city people who don't understand any of this. So it's real emotional messaging. So they came into Ohio, kind of one of those swing states at the time. And, you know, if you can pass a law in Ohio, you can take it to other places. Sure. And so they wanted to ban, they wanted to ban trapping then, you know, and so they got it qualified for the ballot initiative and, you know, there was a bunch of guys, sportsmen, biologists, businessmen in the community, all everybody that was interested in this and was like, wait a minute, we gotta we gotta do something to stop this. So they ran the counter campaign, ended up defeating it. Mm-hmm. Then they all went back to their day jobs. You know, but then they just went moved to other states. The animal rights movement just moved to other states in the next couple of years and started doing it there. And the states were calling these guys saying, Hey, how do you how do you beat these guys? You know, and they said, Oh, there's a there's a need here. And so they created the Wildlife Legislative Fund of America, which is now Sportsman's Alliance. But that's how we were set up was like just kind of happenstance. Some guys that loved hunting and wanted to protect it had legal backgrounds and business backgrounds and biological backgrounds. And uh, they uh, we basically became like a PR firm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, whenever there's a ballot initiative, we'd go in and say, look, here's what we can do. We can do this, this, and this. Here's what we found to be successful. And we'll run the campaigns and then we go back home and whatever. And then it's moved into uh, lobbying and working in all 50 state legislatures across the nation. You know, I think uh, right now we are working on about 285 bills nationwide. And uh, there's another probably two or 300 that they've flagged and they're just kind of watching not thinking they're going to go anywhere Mm -hmm. um so we work in all 50 state legislatures we work at the ballot box which is where we originated and then we also work in state and federal courts and currently we have three federal lawsuits with the federal government and one state-based lawsuit against new jersey for their move uh phil murphy out in jersey there just pandered. I mean, and then this is just point blank. Mm-hmm. He pandered to the animal rights movement out there, which is very strong. It's very contentious, very urban uh, area, most densely populated uh, state in the nation. Right. Said, if I get elected, I will end the bear hunt. I will end bear hunting in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. He got elected. He tried to end it, but he legally he could not end bear hunting outright because of a case we won there in 2005. He couldn't end it, but what he did do is he blocked, he acted as a land manager, is their argument, acted as a land manager and closed state, all state-owned public lands to bear hunting. Mm-hmm. And so ourselves with SCI and New Jersey Outdoor Outdoor Alliance, um, we all jumped on a lawsuit together and sued, and so that's going through the process right now. So all 50 states legislatures the court state and federal court 
and at the ballot box. And we've been doing that for about 40 years now. And we're a small group. I mean, we're not huge. We don't have a ton of money. We don't have a ton of people. I think the office, you know, I think we have fewer than 20 employed total, you know, Okay. that's the bean counter, the girl up front, you know, the education, the youth guys, um, that kind of stuff. So we're a small, quick to respond, you know, group, but the guys we have on our legal team and our government affairs are top notch. I mean, they're leading the industry and, you know, they, they just, they know how to get it done. The, the legal team in these lawsuits with, for wolves in the great lakes, grizzly bears out in Yellowstone and, and uh, predator management up in Alaska. Those are the big federal lawsuits we're working on and they're just great legal minds. I mean, they've been yeah. victory after victory, you know, lawsuits and, and fighting the animal rights movement just head on. I mean, we're a small organization and we're taking on Humane Society of the United States, which raises $200 million a year, you right. know, and right. they've got friends in the media and a friendly message and everything else. And we win something more than like 90% of the stuff we engage in. Not, so. not only in like the news media, but even media things coming out of Hollywood. I was watching, I, I was flipping the channels last night and found saw a program that was about Alaska and it was on a well-known channel. And, um, as I've sat there and I watched it, there were a couple interesting things, but then they were showing this, uh, this is this is the animal rights part and how they indoctrinate people. But I saw a, a, a short section in that, and I couldn't watch the whole thing, where a moose was birthing a baby moose, a, you know, calf moose. And the whole time they're putting in all these uh, uh, noises to show the struggle of the mother. And then once the calf is born, these little cute noises that make you feel like, and I looked at my wife and I said, birthing in the wild is largely silent because they don't want to draw predators. You know, they just suffer yeah. through it. And this is all Hollywood drama to put a human characteristic on this animal to sway the opinion. So it's yep. media at every level. It's not just oh, yeah. the news. Oh. Yeah, I was trying to watch uh, Call of the Wild with my son the other day, you know, and the, the movie, the new movie that came out. And I read the book as a kid. I mean, Jack London, it's, you know, right. naturalism. It's it's, it's a real. It's raw. Yeah. Holy crap. I'm watching that. I couldn't even watch it. I, I, I am done. You know, like, it was so bad. <laughs> it was just like, jeez right. Louise. So, yeah, no, it's in that. And all of that is just, you know, subconscious stuff that yes, sinks in. You know, they see the dog out freezing in the snow and they think, oh, and then they get done and the news comes out and says, hey, there's an outdoor dog ban. They want to stop having dogs outdoors. They're like, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, watch and they this all movie. they vote off the emotions. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They vote off emotions. And it's a, it's a tough sell a lot of times. You know, I mean, here in Washington State, uh, they were trying to redefine animal cruelty and put in a definition of pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was basically anything from extreme physical abuse to mild mental discomfort would yes. qualify as animal cruelty. We track that a, a little human, bit. Yeah. And if a human would experience, would experience it, it can be generally assumed that an animal would feel it, experience it the same way. And that they actually, the government affairs guys actually let me sit in on this because... I, I live here in Washington and 
I don't know how those guys do it and maintain their composure because I was losing my shit. I was just like, what the heck? Are you, what? The, I mean, I was just trying not to go crazy here. And, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. wait a minute. You know, I used the example of my lab jumping in the, the rivers and, you know, if any human did it, you know, that would be, they would be freezing and cold and hurting in the lab. You know, I got to train them to come out of the river and, uh, you know, it, uh, it's, but that would have been abuse because I forced the dog. I told him, I sent him into the river or used an e-collar on him right. for training, you know? And so we worked at it. I mean, it was five, six hours of meetings over about a month. And finally, like the legislator were like, look, if the animal cruelty is here and there's so much, you know, evidence, you don't need this definition. It's obvious. The evidence supports it. So what do you need this for? You know, and the legislators, thank goodness, were finally like to the lobbyist was like, look, do you want to pass the meat here or are you trying to do something here? Because we like the dairy guys. We like the cattlemen. We like Mm -hmm. these guys. And that's what we do. We go into a state and we form an alliance. So we call ourselves the alliance. Uh, we were working with the cattle guys. We got AKC on board. We got UKC on board. We got, uh, you know, the uh, the horse guys, the backcountry horse guys on board. Mm-hmm. We were all on the same side and sending the same message and opposing it and pointing out the reasons why. And the legislators were finally like, all right, we're just killing this part. And they struck the language out and they went with, you know, the, the higher end stuff that is actual animal cruelty that – none of us actually want to see, you know, we all love exactly. our dogs there you go. and our horses and whatever. We don't want to see abuse, but we don't want to get caught up in very broad language that makes what we do our common everyday practices and proven practices of training and hunting. We don't want to see those get caught. And that's where so much of our work comes in is these bills are either unintentionally written by politicians that are very broad and catch you, or they're, intentionally written by the Humane Society of the United States to be applied, misapplied in other areas. And so we go in there and make sure that language, you know, it's all about words and make sure that language isn't going to catch us by surprise down the road or can't be used later to vault into something else. Well, you even look at the way some of these bills are written. It's written in a way that it is a catch-22 for the hunting public. Because if you come out and you say, I oppose this legislation, then the Humane Society can spend off of that and say, say they're a bunch of barbarians. So you have to yep. be diligent to to look at that and like the Sportsman's Alliance is doing, making sure that the proper language is put in there and the message is, is sent to the legislators that, hey, we're just as much, I don't want to, if somebody, if I pull in my driveway this afternoon and see somebody mistreating my dog, they're going to have a problem. You know, because I care about that dog. I don't and I'm not going to do it and I don't expect it from anybody else. But this type of language simply can't, you know, exist here because it it is not scientific based. And we had, uh, for instance, we've had Arlie Reynolds, a senior nutritionist from uh, Purina on the podcast. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I've met him before. You know, he talks about metabolic rates and dogs and I don't care how you train yourself. Or how how you feed yourself, or what mattress you sleep on, you aren't going to be able to do the same things that Arlie Reynolds' dogs can do. So that right there tells you that they're not human. They they've got di- yeah. they got different physiological abilities than we do as humans. And to try to we're actually cheating them. You know we 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 see this all the time in the in the 
people at the dog park with their dogs that aren't being fed properly, aren't exercised property, uh, you know, riding on the laps of people going down the road. It's like, who's really abusing an animal here? Me, that's, so that's one thing. One thing I want to ask you real quick, and maybe a discuss- yeah. it's real easy to understand. Well, maybe it's not as easy as it should be, but it's easier to understand uh, how to combat the states with ballot initiatives, referendum states. You know, those seem to be easy marks for uh, this anti-hunting, anti-dog legislation. Like you already alluded to, all you got to do is get it on the ballot. You center the, you, you target these urban environments, get your signatures. It goes on the ballot, and now you can put it out there, and you can drive whatever narrative you want with sad face puppies and and little mo- baby moose making cute noises, and and push that agenda. So, what is? I want to talk about the other states, the ones that are not ballot initiative states. How much of a target-rich environment are they? Um, what are you seeing coming out of those states where it's still in a, a resources commission uh, set up there where it can't go on a ballot? Uh, it, it's all basically the same, though, because all you have to do, all it's all about uh, the voting blocks. Mm-hmm. You know, so like here in Washington State, you know, it's tough and, and it's the same. It's the same story everywhere. You have your big urban city and that's where most of the people are. That's where most of the media coverage is. That's where more of your representatives come from. So then you already have a, a stacked deck against you. Right. Mm-hmm. So it comes down to rural versus urban. You know, our entire heritage comes down to that. The laws come down to that. The media comes down to that. Um so it's like you're already stacked. It's stacked against you. So you go, you know, sub bill moves and it's in the state legislature and whether whichever party controls it or whatever uh, doesn't matter. It's like how many of the party are in are coming from these different voting blocks, you know, because those are the guys who are already going to be stacked up against you. So now you either have to convince them or you have to have enough guys on the other side from all the rural areas to block it. You know, so it's it's really coming down to rural versus urban and all of it. Uh, it's it's it, but the sooner you can stop legislation, the better. Like mm-hmm. once it starts hitting the media, once it's the further it goes in the committee process, the harder it is to stop. So if we can get it as soon as it's introduced, we we're on it. Like before it's even you know discussed on the floor the first time, or before it even hits the first committee or the newspaper or whatever. We're on it. We're already trying to kill it or amend it or put exemptions in or whatever we can do. We're making noise and we're on the phone. And then, you know, depending on how that goes, a lot of times we do this stuff behind the scenes. You know, they'll be like, hey, man, they, they don't want to talk about this, but they told us it's not moving. You know, so we're, we're laying, laying low on it. And they said, you know, the sponsor said he's going to kill it. You know, he's not going to move it. He didn't understand. We talked to him. It's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we'll watch it and be like, okay, it's up for discussion. Make another phone call. Okay, we're still on the same page. Okay, you know, it didn't move. It's dead. Great. Move on to the next thing. Or, hey, it's still being discussed and moved. Now we got to start put out the alert, and that's where the public comes in. Right. We put out the alert. Please call. Call these guys right here. You know, you go follow our link to our website, put in your address. It'll pull up all your folks, you know, call. Because if 10 or 12 people 
will take five minutes to actually call, especially in this day and age of email and text and all that. If you'll pick up the phone and just call and, you know, voice your displeasure, it makes them go, holy crap, I'm getting a lot of calls here. And not only if I'm getting this many calls in this day and age, there's a whole lot more voters out there that feel the same. Right. You know, so then they'll start thinking about it and be like, okay, this isn't a good idea. Or how do I make these people happy? You know, take out this language, write this exemption, whatever. You know, so then they start listening. They want to play ball with us. Right. You know, and then it's like, okay, you know, and, and sometimes it's, that's all it takes, you know, and we'll be like, okay, we want this done. And they'll be like, great. And then it's done and and we're protected and we're good. You know, other times we'll be like, look, stop having people call us. And we're like, oh, okay, well, we want this. Well, we'll talk about it. We're like, nope, call again. We'll put out another alert. And that's when you step on the throat and everybody get in there and start calling again. You know, (laughs) it's this game, a perception of voters and voices. And, you know, are they going to make their constituents mad and lose the next election or get bad PR out of it or what? You know, so they have to understand that there's a consequence for their action, you know, if uh, if they don't listen to us. And hunters, by and large, we're disengaged. You know, we just want to hunt. We want to go out and train our dogs. We want to do whatever, you know, and we don't do it. We don't protect ourselves until, you know, not just the wolf's at the door, but he's under the bed and he's coming out to get us. And it's like the last second. So we need to do a better job of getting involved sooner and we need people involved sooner you know yeah. our club systems like you were saying you know the the dog systems the the dog clubs the various dog clubs around the around the country that are you know under whatever umbrella we need to engage mm-hmm. you know and you know the difference we all need to be engaging sooner the sooner want, we can reach them and kill it the better definitely want to talk about that one of the things that uh, i want to i want to kind of circle back around to before we get there is ask you this question and based on your experience you guys are are dealing with this business every single day so we we want to really drill down into the experience and the trends that you're seeing but how do we get to the point where the people with the least amount invested have such a large say in how our wildlife is managed and you can look at that from the wolf introduction in colorado um, to uh, uh, an anti-hunting bill somewhere that, that say it's a large predator but the wolf the wolf is such an easy one to talk about when you think about the amount of money that has been spent on uh, damage claims and mitigation and and all that sort of stuff for the wolf but yet the people that are most affected have the least amount of influence in saying how it is managed how do we get there uh well you know basically to follow the money you know mean society of the united states is pushing most of this and like i said they have a 200 million dollar a year operating budget i mean that's just a year mm-hmm. 200 million you know, and they have a huge fund beyond that. Um, and so they can they can self-fund a ballot initiative. You know, they can walk in and gather the signatures, and that's this is what they do. They have their state rep. They did it in Arizona for the cats a couple years ago. You I'm know, glad you brought that one cats. up. Yeah, they, they did. They, I literally have the woman's application, and she used her Humane Society of the United States email, and she was the head of it. And use that for the application and then turn in the signature. So they can go into the state, 
their state rep there or whatever their state uh, head of their state chapter or whatever uh goes and files for it and then they just gather signatures and and get it on there and then they throw money at it and they they you know in maine for black bears up there and to stop hounding baiting and trapping the black bears up there they did tried it twice um they threw 2.7 million i think it was 2.6 2.7 million at it and like 95 percent of it came from washington dc from the humane society of the united states headquarters mm-hmm. you know and so they can self-fund these ballot initiatives, and the Humane Society of the United States can just pick out where they want to go. It's the same thing with lobbyists. Okay, we want to attack here. we got lobbyists we can work with there, pay them. And the sportsmen, all of a sudden, we're already on defense, just the way the mechanism is set up. Things are open. They're trying to close them so they can pick and choose, and we kind of just got to react. Um, but we're left on a, you know, a short leash to hurry up and raise funds and try to match these guys. You know, the the marketing and airtime is expensive. And, you know, Arizona is a perfect, perfect example. You know, the market there is just Phoenix. Mm-hmm. You just right. went Phoenix and you won the whole thing. And you got early voting there. So you have to back up your messaging. It's all about timing the messaging of your airtime with the voting time. But then you also have the bilingual aspect of Spanish down mm-hmm. there that you have to run twice as many ads. So literally to run a ballot an issue is probably $5 million. Now tell me what sportsman's group has $5 million to protect town hunting. Yes. You know? so, so we're already under the gun there. So you brought up two, two recent issues that directly affected houndsmen. I'm glad you did. Uh, maybe there's somebody out there that doesn't understand what the Sportsman's Alliance did for the, just in those two identified cases right there. Give us, this is your opportunity. Talk up Sportsman's Alliance. Tell people why they need to uh, be involved with you and, and, and why they should be using your resources and building relationships with you now. What did you do in Arizona? Uh, Arizona, uh, it was, they, they, Arizona, the guys there did a great job and they, you know, we were more, we consulted a little bit and we worked with them somewhat. Um, they, that was a lot. They did a great job organizing people and attacking and taking defensive measures. There were some changes to the state law there that helped out too, as far as signature gathering and paying signature gathers and, uh, the qualifying stuff that helped the process immensely. But what really helped it also was that's the time of that Me Too movement, and Wayne Paselli, the head of the the CEO of Humane Society at the time, mm-hmm. got caught up in the Me Too scandal, and so all of a sudden they had this big fire that was being covered by the New York Times, the Washington Post, and everybody else, and I mean there was a lot of stuff going on with them, their board of directors, you know, so they had this huge fire going on, PR fire, and it's pretty hard to say, go into a state from out of state and say, you need to change this. And all we have to say is, yeah, this guy is the guy that, you know, has been telling a woman that if she wants to get ahead, she has to sleep with him, you know? And so they suspended the campaign, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But the the key here is that they suspended the campaign. Yeah. They, the, the organization that they created, I can't remember what it was called, um, still exists. And it still has a bank account and it still has a half million dollars in that bank account. In Arizona, so they can right restart now. this in Arizona right now. Yep. So they could restart this tomorrow. Right. You know, they'll probably wait till after the election because what people don't want to do now is give conservative voters a reason to get out and vote. 
mm-hmm. and you might have a bunch of folks who, you know, would oppose it, but they're too lazy to go vote or whatever. But all of a sudden, if you, you know, do this during the election time and the presidential election, if they're going to be voting anyways, they'll vote against it. So a lot of this stuff is laying low probably until after the election, mm-hmm. you know, into next year. And then you'll probably see a lot of ballot initiatives starting up again. Um, so that's, you know, what we do is we look at the political landscape. We look at the airtime, we look at the messaging and that's what we did in Maine is both times, 2004 and 2014. Yeah. We go, we walk in and we're like, Hey, here's where we've done this. Here's how we do it. You know, if you want us to do this, we can help set this up, help run it, do the messaging. You know, we work with the people on the ground. Like we can put some money in, but we're not a huge group. So it's going to take on the ground fundraising and work on the messaging. And I mean, our government affairs guys do a great job. They go out, they do the polling, you know, and we, you know, in Montana, everybody thought it was, if you removed, you know, all you have to do it's Montana to protect trapping. All you have to do is talk about wolves or, uh, (laughs) elk and deer and cows and you're done. Well, that worked, but it didn't work for women with children. They didn't care. Mm -hmm. None of the messaging worked. The only thing that they cared about is if you remove trapping, poison would have to be used. So that was messaging that we incorporated. Hey, if we got to lose trapping, then we're going to have to poison these things. And that's going to be out around parks and whatever else. They didn't like that. So they, voted with us. So it's finding those messages and nuances and it changes. It, it's, it's different depending on the topic, the households, uh, you know, what the, what the actual vote is and the demographics of the, of the area. Then you have to time it with your back it up and time it with your voting time and, you know, your different things like that, you know, and, and come out with these messages and airtime. And so that's what we do. We walk in, we basically run the PR campaign and work with all the different pieces and organize it and come out with hard hitting messages that resound with the non hunting public. Give them a reason to care. We don't care if they hound, if they like hounding, if they like hunting, like they can be anti hunting, but people are very selfish when they vote. How is this going to impact me? Mm-hmm. So we have to make them care about it uh, while they're in there for that 10 minutes or whatever that they're voting they have to think about that message. And so that's what we aim to do. It's like, here's what's going to happen if you take this away. And a lot of it's using emotion like the other side does. We have all the facts. We have all the science. We're in a day and age that those don't matter anymore. Social outrage, emotion, that stuff drives PR campaigns. And when you come into a ballot initiative, that's a PR campaign. And so you have to kind of play at the same level that they do. Yep, absolutely. We see that, see that all the time. All you got to do, don't confuse me with facts. Just tell me how you feel. Yeah. I've, so, we'll. Um, I kind of want to build a, a conversation here. Have a conversation here on how. Obviously, we can't make our lifestyle bulletproof. I don't care what you do. There's going to be there's going to be some injuries along the way, but. Tell us how state organizations, specifically hound organizations, can start today to start building a a war chest or a plan for defense or, you know, how can they be proactive on this thing? 
What have you seen in other yeah. states that have been good? Yeah, see, and that's something we've been preaching for a long time, and it's very hard to do. Um, but building that war chest, I mean, that's the exact term we've used in discussions is we need a war chest. And if we can get sportsmen organized enough and create a war chest and just keep it there, because the attack's going to come. It's just a matter of time. Right. And that's usually the biggest problem is we're already behind the gun when it comes to money. We have to spend six months raising money, you know, and then use it all at the end. If we had, you know, a quarter million dollars or, you know, $100,000, whatever, sitting in an account, you know, even if it was for a couple of years, and then something comes in, a ballot initiative or, you know, a huge lobbying effort, whatever it is, if we had that money there, you could move right away. You can get a jump start on your messaging. You can get a jump start on everything else. You can beat them to the punch. We're like, we're the boxer in the corner getting wailed on until the last second, you know, and Rocky comes swinging out, you, you know, go. looking for that knockout punch. Right, right. <laughs> you know, if, if we had a little more room, we'd be a little, uh, in a lot better position to fight, you know, so state organizations if you guys you know you know i remember paying dues you know for my the retriever stuff and you know that goes to club days and that goes for equipment buys and that goes for you know whatever for your banquets and different things like that and that's all great and you need that but if you can put some in reserve or start another account or do a fundraiser every year or something that you can start building an account a legal account, Mm -hmm. you know, that you just keep. And this is the tough part is people see the money there and then they don't see the threat coming. And it might be, and that's, you know, we haven't got into chapters yet. Um, For Sportsman's Alliance is something we were looking at. Like I said, we were set up as this PR machine that came into a state and then we left and we went back home and went to the next, put out the next fire. But we're looking at trying to build a chapter system like everybody else has, but we don't want to, have all the same pitfalls, do it the exact same, you know, it's like there's a fine balance of recreating the wheel, you know, but not, you know, making, we want to do a better job. So we're trying to figure out that balance. And part of the thing is, is like, well, it's important that the local chapter gets to keep some money, Mm -hmm. but we need money at headquarters to do a better job fighting nationally. And how do you tell a guy in, you know, Indiana that, you know, yes, send us money we've got this fight over here in maine to worry about well and it, that's a hard sell you know but if you're smart you're looking at it going if it's happening in maine if it's happening in arizona it's already happened here in washington state and oregon right you damn well know that sooner or later it's going to be happening in indiana yes it's just a matter of time you know yeah you know, and, and there's certain pockets and states that have been, you know, the South and Southeast are, are, are pretty strong, but everybody else is pretty much, you know, on the map and the target, but it can be a couple of years. It can be five years, you know, or 10 years, you know, so you, people start seeing this and, oh, the threat's not there. We can, we don't have to worry about it. And everybody gets complacent again, you know, and it's like, no, we, that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. So if you can, Put aside some money for legal issues, you know, and because, you know, the attack's going to come or, you know, whatever. The other thing is we have memberships 
for ourselves, you know, for the Sportsman's Alliance, so it's an individual membership. You can become a member starting at $35, and it goes up from there, and you get different perks. We also have business partner uh, memberships. So, you know, a lot of the big guys, you know, uh, Browning, Winchester, you know, different groups like that belong to this at higher levels. But, you know, if you have a sporting goods store or whatever, uh, buddy at uh, DU Hunting Supply, he's a member of ours, you know, and it starts at 2,500 bucks, you know, and, and that helps us. That helps us fight legally. It helps us lobby. It helps us get the messaging out, all that. There's also club memberships. So if you're local dog club, your Indiana chapter, you know, you belong to UKC or whatever. If you want to also, you can be a club member of the Sportsman's Alliance. And I think that starts at a hundred bucks or 200 bucks or something like that, you know, which is nothing. Yeah. 250 is what it starts at, mm-hmm. you know, which is nothing across the, you know, a club of any size, really, you know, 10 bucks a member or something. But that also gives us not just capital, but it gives us a voice and it gives us a voice on the ground. Like, Hey guys, in Indiana, we got this bill coming through and about tethering dogs, you know, go make some noise. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And that's one thing we've talked about in the past. Sometimes it, uh, there are times when you need mass numbers. Indiana Sportsman's Roundtable needs to be able to walk into a fish and wildlife meeting and say, we represent this many sportsmen across the state of Indiana. Uh, so. Yeah. That's why individual memberships to the organizations like this are important. But, you know, right now there are, there are hound hunting breed regist- uh, organizations. You've got the Trim Walker Fancher and Breeders Association, and you've got the United English Breeders, and you've got Black and Tans, and all of them that could be assisting by becoming associate members of uh, the sportsman's alliance and state organizations could as well i i, yeah. I agree with you 100 percent. you know who's your we, treat- we pretty much have a membership for anybody who wants one yeah <laughs> whatever level or or demographic or whatever you're in we we've got something that's in there you know and hats and shirts and buck knives and uh right. yeah our monthly magazine that we send out and you know there's different perks for clubs you know signs and different things like that that's saying you're protecting your passion and and things so yeah there's uh check it out you know it's uh on the website there and so yeah so so okay we the hoosier tree dog alliance becomes a member of the sportsman's alliance now there's a reason why we named our uh organization alliance and it just so you know because it matched what you guys were doing it was actually taken from uh the way oh, cool. yeah sportsman's alliance who's your tree dog alliance so it seemed like a good fit and like i said i've been yeah. involved in a couple of years i don't know where we're at on that keeping that membership up now but i can check easy enough but uh so we've paid that and yeah we we got t-shirt and an knife and a banner and you know stuff that we threw in on the uh the raffle at the banquets and different things like that but now there's an issue. What can can the leadership of the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance expect from Sportsman's Alliance when a yeah. ballot uh, uh, a, we don't have ballots, so it would be uh, controversial yeah. legislation. Yeah, yeah. So that that gives us somebody to go to immediately, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, the Washington thing here, working with Buddy at DU. You know, it's like okay, yeah, I gave him a call and we talked talked about it. We talked about the good, the bad, and how we get through this, the political landscape. And he went in 
as a representative of dog groups in that area. And then we came in from the national perspective where we're talking behind the scenes, you know, so it gives us a contact point. It gives us boots on the ground and it gives us political buy-in right away. It's one thing if the Sportsman's Alliance walks in as this national group, you know, they're like, okay, that carries some weight. But then all of a sudden now we have boots on the ground that are echoing what we're saying and you're coming in also representing those people and making noise. You're their constituents. They really have a vested interest in listening to what you folks have to say, you know, and if we're saying the same thing and we got lawyers on our side too, then all of a sudden they're going, Oh, this is a little different. And I'm getting a lot of pushback, you know, and then we can reach media, you know, and I can find somebody, you know, if I have a media person and then I can call you and be like, Hey, Who's a good person who's articulate, you know, that can talk about this and put it in the right light. Here's the messaging we need to talk about. You know, let's focus on this. Let's not focus here because that's just going to lead us down a rabbit hole that there's no good outcome. So here's some good messaging. Let's work on this. Let's get them to talk to this media person. Let's get, uh, you know, you need to call the senator at this time. I'll call them afterwards and you talk to them, you know, and Mm -hmm. that type of stuff. Um, So it gives us the national influence, but it gives us that boots on the ground piece. The other side is that we catch almost, we, we catch a lot. We, I mean, we catch probably 95% or more of the, of the legislation going through every now and then though, there's things that we don't catch that slip through or that is airdropped into an unrelated bill. So it doesn't get, it doesn't catch on our, our software the first time. It's attached or, to second reading. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, whoa, we didn't we didn't catch that. And we've gotten, you know, people call in or send emails or messages on Facebook like, hey, here's this, this and this. And we're like, oh, thanks. You know, I'll send it over to them. And they're like, oh, yeah. Or, yep, we are, we're on it. We already know about it. And I'm like, OK, so I'll tell somebody. But uh, it also gives us that extra set of eyes. And, you know, or if it's a fish and game regulation meeting, you know, that mm-hmm. isn't going to be flagged by our stuff that local influence and the local uh the local set of eyes is huge you know it keeps us helps keeps us aware and already gives us that in to start talking to somebody about it one of the it's uh, it's you know we call ourselves the alliance we we align with just about anybody out there i mean NRA, NSSF, SCI, Shakar, uh alaska professional hunting guides association i mean Anybody who is going to be impacted by this, we form an alliance with, mm-hmm. you know, we go in as a team and, uh, you know, so that's, that's our thing. It's like, Hey, our partners are just as important, if not more so than we are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to really get down into and discuss. Brian was, was how a local, and I say local, I'm talking state. You know, you, we even break these hound clubs down smaller into local communities. But you look at Farm Bureau uh, in Indiana, it's the, the the largest lobbying group in the state, most effective. And the way they are successful is this week, Farm Bureau coordinates uh, uh, local members to meet with the representative and brings them into the state house. And then next week, it's a 
person, a group from another part of the state meeting with another legislator in another part of the state next week. And it just goes on down. And same thing you said, you know, looking at a national level, now they're putting constituents with the decision makers. And Farm Bureau is extremely successful in doing that. And we could do the same thing with the Sportsman's Alliance if we can get houndsmen and these state organizations to start aligning themselves and looking for this information. Because I can only imagine that when you walk in to, say, the bear hunting th initiative in Maine, you know, there are certain things that you see the Humane Society doing, saying, and you can look at those guys and say, hey, this is the way you need to combat this because they tried this same stuff in Michigan. They tried it yep. in, in Missouri, and we already know it. If I'm if Chris Powell is trying to fight this by myself with Who's Your Tree Dog Alliance, and I don't have that information, that experience, I'm going to be starting every day. It's going to be like Groundhog's Day, starting everything yep. new. I can, yep, can, exactly. get, can get you guys on board because I'm already affiliated with you, and you can say, don't do that. Don't put that on Facebook because they're going to turn around, they're going to, stick the knife right in your back with this we've yeah. already we've already seen it yep 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 no that's exactly it and a, lot, and a lot you know we already have uh relationships with some people but others we don't and it helps to have somebody in the room you have a committee meeting like this the committee meeting for the washington bill myself and bruce tag our vp of uh, government affairs were on the phone he was calling in from ohio i was calling in from here on the east side of the state and we're calling into the west side Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can make our points and get our points across, but it's hard. We can't see what's going on in the room. We can't get a feel for the room. Right. Well, Buddy Woodbury from uh, W Hound Supply there was in the room representing the hound guys. Yes. And he was looking around. We were talking. He's like, yeah, here's here's what was going on when this person was talking. Here's what it was when you were saying something. And, you know, yeah, we got a little long-winded there, but it really drove the point home. So that was good. Mm -hmm. You know, and so we talked about this stuff behind the scenes and then work together on calling the different uh, the rep and the senator and working with them and so you know it really helped a lot and it was huge and we ended up being successful because of that alliance and working together mm -hmm. and and now the national organization is sitting there here's buddy woodbury who knows the chairman of this committee because he's got a relationship with him so it gives you credibility to be able to speak yeah. to the issue yep yep you know, so it uh, it works for all of us. I mean, it works from, you know, the local guy up to the state, up to the national level, and it works back down. It's, you know, top down and bottom up. It uh, it just works better when we're all aligned and, and working together and using the same messaging and saying the same thing and, and uh, aligning our efforts instead of fighting against each other or giving conflicting information or settling, you know, saying, oh, okay, well, no, this is good. We'll, we'll take that. You know, because, well, it won't affect these guys. Okay, well, you're forgetting about these other guys over here, you know. Thank you for bringing that yeah. up. You know, it's, it seems yeah. like we've got to stop be willing to sacrifice. A hunter is a hunter. And we put up a lot of barriers in our own community because people don't do the same thing, same things we do or do them the way we would do them. And we're more than happy to sacrifice. In the past, I've seen us have these tendencies to be willing to sacrifice other sporting groups because it doesn't directly affect me. And we fail to realize that as soon as they're done running through that group, they're coming after you. So you cannot yep. allow, you cannot allow them to have this victory. Whether your deal is sitting in a tree stand chasing 180 inch white tailed deer uh, or 
chasing a rabbit dog through the briars. We got to stand united on this, and that's what the Sportsman's Alliance can bring to the table for for the hound hunting community. Yeah, no, they uh, they don't care what what you hunt or how you hunt. They they want to ban it all, you know. And they point blank said they're going to ban. They they want to ban it all, and they're going to go state by state, species by species, and they're going to do it. Wayne Pacelli from the Humane Society said that point blank on the record, you know. So they don't care, you know. It's like. They may not be coming after you this time, but they will be, and it doesn't matter. It's a circular argument. You can never make mm-hmm. them happy. If you're using a rifle with a scope, that's that's unfair advantage. Yes. If you're using a traditional bow with hand carved flint, you know, arrowhead, that's not that's not lethal enough. You know, the animal can suffer. So you're never going to make them happy. There's no happy medium for them. You know, if you're using hounds, that's unfair chase. If you're not using hounds, then you're just taking willy-nilly shots at whatever you happen to see, and you're not being selective. So it doesn't matter. You know, they don't care, and they just want it all gone, and they're working on it. And they do, they do it in small back. increments. They come out. Small they, little chip away. Yeah, yeah, they just keep. Death de- by a thousand cuts. There you go, death by a thousand cuts. I had this, I had this thought one time. I was sitting here, and I was thinking about, people that say that uh, hunting is not fair chase hunting with hunting with hounds is not fair chase then i look back at some of the oldest historically documented uh, accounts of hunting on cave walls and it shows men with spears using dogs and i think man if that was such an efficient way to hunt then why did anybody ever pick up a gun why would i waste my time with a, a a a two thousand dollar rifle with a scope on it if all i needed was a dog and a spear you know it's that is such a misconception that we uh we've allowed ourselves to fall prey to i think um well i i I just always flip that script i'm like well he can be more selective i can take out a absolutely female i can take out i can age it i can see if it has cubs all this that's right i'm just shooting without it I don't know what age class I'm shooting. I don't know if it has cubs or kittens following behind it. If it's male or female. If it's a female, I, you know, and it's a low density area, we want to let that one go. If it's a male, not a big deal. You know, we can take that without harming the, the resource. And so, and then you just flip it back on them. And it's like, oh, look, it's not stressed. The cat's asleep. It's not sitting there. You know, yeah. that's what they love to say. They're, right. they're stressed. They're this. And like, no, it's sleeping right there. Right. You know, whatever. You know, so you got to counter back with those with those punches and you know the kind of things like that so there's all sorts of different messaging but uh yeah it uh it still is a tough fight you know and for the non-hunter they don't get it so yeah brian i appreciate your time today uh um, but before we go i want to make sure that our listeners know where to find the information they need to contact the sportsman's alliance get more involved you know, go to their leadership of their hound organization and say, hey, have we thought about this? Let's research it. I think we need to go here. But but we've got people in our audience that, that are pretty active and we'll start, we'll, we'll research this sort of thing. So real quick, tell them, tell our audience where they can find Sportsman's Alliance and how to uh, get this information. Yep, we're on all the social media stuff. Our Facebook is probably the uh, most active um, and pretty uh, gets pretty lively sometimes. But all everything, our, our social media and our website are all under the same thing. It's called sportsmensalliance.org, uh, sportsmens, M-E-N. 
NS Sports Men's Plural Alliance dot org. And if you just put in put in Sportsmen's Alliance into any of those social media stuff, you should be able to find it uh, on the website. Where you can sign up for a uh, individual membership, a club membership, or a business partner membership if you have a business. We're a 501c3 and c4 for different legal reasons, mm-hmm. and uh, being able to lobby and have lawsuits or fall under different places, as well as our youth education stuff. So those are the C1 or C3 and C4s. So everything's tax deductible. Anything you do, you can write off. Um, yeah, and please get involved. Uh, there's so much dog stuff. The hound guys are on the front lines of it, you know, here in Washington, it's been banned. So, you know, I, I see firsthand what's going on when the hounds get taken away and our cat and bear populations go screaming up and, you know, now the state's killing them instead of sportsmen and it's coming out of the taxpayers' money. Houndsmen are on the front lines, but everybody's, it's, it's impacting the bird dog guys, the retriever guys, the hound guys, mm-hmm. you know, it's outdoor legislation, it's puppy mill stuff, it's pain and suffering. It's hitting from all sides and they're taking it piece by piece, state by state. Well, Brian, I appreciate your time and uh, we'll definitely be in contact. Feel free to call on, you know, this program, Houndsman XP podcast, if there is uh, some, some news that you need to get out there in a in a quick we usually have about a week lead time but but i've put stuff up you know and included it in our podcast from made editions you know as little as 48 hours in advance so we can be pretty current on uh, awesome. uh calls to action that you might need to get out there for certain parts of the country we'd be more than happy to do that for you and uh excellent you got any final thoughts or anything else you want to tell our audience before we sign off I just want to say thank you uh, for having us on and uh, thank you for those that are supporting us. And hopefully anybody that's not takes a look and uh, gets involved because we're our dog guys are right on the front lines. We're also one of the most dedicated groups out there. The sport, the hounds guys are great. Uh, They've been a great audience and they have a lot at stake here, but they're vocal and it helps a lot when we need people to call. So just like to say give us a shot and check us out and thank you very much you bet brian and one of the things i know some of our audience has been they have been uh in committee hearings and different things this last legislative session about uh these animal contests and performance dog contests and and we were going to talk about that and we i just forgot did a poor job of hosting there (laughs) Got a little carried away talking about everything else, and you know, just yep. goes back to show that there's so much to talk about. There really is. Um, but this is another example, you know, that houndsmen are being caught in. So what's we've seen in 2019 and it's continued this year is uh, coyote contests. You know, it started in oh, New Mexico, I believe. Um, that you know, banning of coyote contests where you get an order get a bunch of guys together throw money into the pot or prizes or whatever and and you know you have a two or three day hunt whoever comes in with the most coyotes you know in first second and third you win the money or you win ribbons or whatever mm-hmm. well they don't like that they got some footage in oregon they showed that you know and it's not an appealing picture right like you got a bunch of guys carrying dead coyotes around throwing them back at pickups it's not good pr for that be showing on the local news and especially when they introduce a bill right afterwards and attach it to it. But these wildlife contest bills started in New Mexico, went up to Oregon, 
went up to uh, Montana, if you can believe it, Wisconsin, New Jersey, New York, Nevada. And we just watched it. And again, this is the Humane Society of the United States driving the bus and making a coordinated attack on hunting. It started with coyotes. Mm -hmm. But as it moved up to Oregon, it moved across the top there, the language changed. It said coyote contest, but the language would actually say any predator, any fur bearer, any wildlife contest mm -hmm. where wildlife is killed for a prize, for money, for ribbons, for entertainment, you know. So right. if you're going out on a coon hunt and killing the coon and you give out a ribbon for first place or whatever for your dog's work, you just violated the law. Mm -hmm. So it would impact and take away your field trials. You're up on bird guys, you know, putting out putting out chuckers or whatever, right. uh, using ducks and retriever stuff. It, some places pen-raised birds were allowed. Some places it was defined as wildlife. So it would take those away across the board. These are the unintended consequences, unintended in air quotes. Like right. it's written specifically at coyotes, and then all of a sudden it morphed into wildlife. And the scary part was by the time we went across the country and came back to the West Coast in Nevada, it was introduced as a felony. It was the same as manslaughter if you broke this law. Right. So, you know, it's that's an example of how the hound guys and the dog guys in general, how their entire method for selecting bloodlines could be wiped out mm -hmm. in an instant, in an entire state, you know, by banning wildlife contests. And again, it sounds legitimate to the non-hunting public. Even some of the hunters. Sure. We're having some hunters saying, yeah, I don't think there's a need for this. You know, never mind the biological and the fact that coyotes in the east are invasive predators, you know. Um, you know, so that's a, that's a big issue, and that's a big trend we've seen. And it's been moving state to state to state. And so it's something to watch out for and understand that, yeah, it, at first glance, you may not think you have a stake in this, but – the, the hound guys, the bird dog guys, and retriever guys would be impacted hugely by it. And thankfully, we've all, they've also been the most vocal groups. Mm -hmm. You know, it, at first, these things are well received, and then when the field trial folks all get a hold of it, it takes off like wildfire. Yeah. And everybody starts calling, and it ends up getting killed. So far, there's a lot of you different know, directions so. to spin off of that, and and um, for me. Uh, the first time I heard of a coyote contest was actually one that was run out of the state of, uh, it, it was organized and held in the state of Pennsylvania. And, uh, uh, then every time there is a victory to stop something like that, that's misunderstood, then it seems like it gets the, the next round is more restrictive. So now it's, uh, you know, you take a, uh, competition hound event, a night hunt, commonly referred to as a night hunt. Uh, one of the things that clearly it expresses in the rules that no wildlife shall be killed during the contest. Um, does that mean that you can control your dog that, that incidentally catches a raccoon on the ground and it ends up killing it? You can't prevent all of that. But um, we've watched as there's 
you know, you hear about gun grabs. Well, this is like a, a, a rights or a freedoms grab by the anti-hunting community that, okay, we got this outlawed out here for, for this. So let's go ahead and get these competition coon dog guys while we're working on this too. Let's just make all animal yep. contests bad, evil, and, and get it all taken care of. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then all they have to do is show a picture of a little raccoon, you know, eating something or playing with a little kid or something and you know here you have this and then you show the big dogs barking and you know drool come out of his mouth or something you just right. it's it's a, an image that gets seared in there you know but uh again they don't understand it and what is actually taking place with the with the contests and the breeding and, and the lines and you know what what all goes into the genetics and why it's important you know, so it's just another example of what they do and how they do it. Mm-hmm. You know, each individual state sitting there going, oh, hey, they introduced this. And, you know, maybe there's <laughs> mediocre backlash or whatever. But when you step back, you look at it and go, oh, this just got introduced in nine states within a two-week period. And you get some bureaucrat that's like. Behind all of it. Yeah, and then you get some bureaucrat a government appointed bureaucrat that thinks he needs to one up all his buddies. And he throws in a little extra language and say, we are very proactive on this thing. We see what's happening. And that's how this stuff grows its own, its own head and takes off. Yeah. In Oregon, it was actually a uh, smaller town in Oregon um, that the legislator introduced it. They got her to introduce it. We got a hold of her and she was like, Oh, I didn't realize this. Okay. And she publicly said, I didn't understand it. Thank you for educating me. I'm withdrawing it. And then two guys out of Portland, you know, your, your urban voting block, two guys out of Portland picked it up and said, we'll do it. And they started pushing it and they didn't care. They didn't care what we had to say or anything. And just a couple months before, literally in the suburbs of a major city, a little kid was bitten. You know, the coyotes were attacking. Uh, same thing happened in uh, Vermont right now. Right now they're trying, well, this last session, we killed it, but they were trying to uh, ban trapping and then ban uh, the coyote contests. They had a rabbit coyote in town that chased a woman and her dogs into their house. She slammed the dogs the door, the door on the dog's head. They were both bitten. Then the dog went after, or the cat, or the coyote went after a moving car. And then it attacked a toddler in town, on the edge of town, in a park, while she's walking with her family, and the dad had to kill with her bare hands. Mm-hmm. So they're literally got rabid coyotes running around town, and they're trying to take away methods and means of controlling that population. You know, yeah. So it just doesn't make sense from yeah. any type of wildlife management standpoint. I'm going to ask you the million-dollar million question. And... And uh, we've okay. ta- we've talked it about talked about this issue on this program before, but Sportsman's Alliance is literally involved in thousands of these fights a year, uh, or at least made aware of them. Can you comment on the posting of graphic videos on social media? Oh. How much ammo do you want to give the other side? I mean, we get it, right? Like, we understand it. We're part of that culture, and we understand what's happening in these things. But we live in a soundbite society nowadays. All that matters are the headlines. All that matters is the image. 
the more that people post up graphic content or do stupid things on pictures, you know, or video and post it, you're just handing ammunition to the other side. Mm -hmm. They take that and they misrepresent it. Sometimes they don't even misrepresent it. Sometimes it's just stupid. You know, people are putting it out there and it makes us all look bad and it gives them the platform and the evidence to put out there in the media. And then that hits the media. It hits the social. And when it hits the social, all of a sudden you cause a, causes a storm with the anti-hunting people, but then they pull in all the non-hunting people. 80% of non-hunters support hunting right. as a wildlife management tool. Yep. As soon as you say the word trophy or you have gratuitous violence or whatever, you're killing mass amounts of them, even if there are mass amounts out there and it's biologically sound, and you're showing this graphically, that turns them off and they go the other side. It just drops, plummets. So we have to keep it in the management realm and think about it. I mean, all you have to do is pick up any outdoor magazine out there and look at the pictures that are selected. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a process, you know, clean, respectful, you know, uh, nice poses, whatever. I always say, you know, you don't have to be ashamed to be a hunter, but you don't have to do something stupid either. You know, we don't have to provoke people. Uh, I appreciate you know, your honesty. Have common sense. <laughs> have common sense when you're doing this. Yeah. You know, if, if this is going to turn off a non hunter, you know, like what are you going to get out of it? Like, I don't know. You know, I get the whole thing. Like I'm not going to hide it. And you know, I'm proud to do this. Like I understand that, but what's the bigger picture here? Right. You know, if you're going to turn off the non hunting public and you're going to cause a storm with the antis, and it ends up the end result eventually is going to be a law that stops you from doing that. Yeah, we so t- is you know does the ends justify the means? We talk about we talk about this uh, at different times during this podcast, but you know it really comes down to a level of maturity and humility. I I've been to Bear Bay Eps. I've been to you know these different situations where you know the the dogs do come in contact with game and it, and you try to mitigate that as much as you can. Cause you don't, I don't like paying vet bills. Um, no. um, but at the same time, I've even told people just turn the camera off. You know, you may be videoing yeah. your hound doing this or that, but just turn it off because even, even if you think, well, I'm never going to post this on social media. I won't ever post this on Facebook, but I'm going to text, I'm going to text it to my buddies. And then he shares it with a buddy and he shares it with a buddy and he shares it with a buddy. And then it pops up on Facebook and then they take the, the animal rights people that are paid to sit media for this type of stuff. They take it, snip it and put it into the narrative that they want. You just allowed them to start controlling the narrative for who houndsmen are and what we stand for. And that's a very small part of it. You may have been, your, your intent to videotape that may have been to capture, uh, when your dog, was how to in, break up, how to break it up, how to break know, it but up. That's not how it's yeah. going to get used. You, you know, you know, but by the time, here's a pretty easy way to do it. Okay. Let's say, uh, you know, let's uh, take a picture of your wife. What, what kind of picture are you going to put out there for everybody to see? 
Are you going to put out there one where she looks pretty and respectful and you're nice with her and you're hanging out with her? Or are you going to put out the naked photo and send it to your buddy? I mean, which one do you want the other person to get a hold of? You know, let's, uh, let's be respectful and smart about this. And I've used this analogy before. I've got three kids. I didn't have to, mm -hmm. and I'm very proud of them. I like posting pictures of them. But I didn't videotape how they got here. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> there you go. Exactly. So exactly. have some sense here, people. I'm glad. I'm, yeah. And, I mean, and the last thing, the last thing is, and I, and you can probably speak to this better than I can. You get a, you get a politician or, a, you know, a representative, a legislator that's on your side. They want to represent you. And then all of a sudden the, the, the opponents of this come in with this sort of thing they're painting your 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 friend into the corner now because if he stands up and says, "Yeah, I'm going to stand strong and and fight for their their freedoms to do this," what they've got to capitulate to is that they approve of what these people just showed them. Yeah. So yep, we're not helping our our wildlife officials and our representatives by thinking that we've got to impress our buddies with with graphic videos. Yep. Nope, exactly right. It's a PR campaign, and uh, politicians tend to like to get reelected. And if you paint them to, into an impossible corner or make them look bad, that's not going to work out well for you. Yeah. So we have to quit making it harder on ourselves, you know, and think about how is a non-hunter going to view this? Mm -hmm. You know, what what are they going to view when they see it? Or what's I work with uh, college kids, uh, my old fraternity in college. And I'm their chapter advisor and, uh, you know, you had college boys that are 18 to 22 and some beers and they have a tendency to do a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> so I tell them, <laughs> I tell them like, boys, write tomorrow's headline. Like, what, what are you doing today that's going to be in tomorrow's headline? And yeah. would you want to see it? Would you want your employer to see it? Would you want your family to see that headline? Right. You know, we kind of have to do the same thing. What am I doing right now? What picture am I taking? What video am I taking? Well, what's the headline going to be tomorrow if Humane Society of the United States gets her, gets her hands on this? Right. What's that headline look like? Yep. The worst possible scenario, because that's what it'll be. Well, it's been a while since we talked about that topic, so I thought it was a good time to revisit and talk about it again because I don't think we can talk about it enough. I'm not ashamed of who there I am. Go. I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm not ashamed of what I do, but I have to be smart on how I represent myself because I don't get to represent Chris Powell. I'm re representing every houndsman across the United States because you are the ones who can be affected by my choices, and it's important That's that I make right. good choices. That's right. The world's bigger than just one of us. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, Brian, I think that's going to do it. And uh, unless you can think of anything else we need to cover. I think we got her now. <laughs> hey, I really do appreciate your time. And we have a way of closing out every podcast here. And, uh, you know, you've been on some some hound adventures and some hound hunts, and you know how this goes a lot of times I'll meet friends of mine out west and, and they'll be hunting their dogs and I'll be, I'll be hunting my hounds. And and uh, when we turn these dogs loose, we may end up with a split race or maybe my dogs don't, don't know what they're supposed to be doing. But no matter what happens, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine.